Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, friends and foes alike. I am the West Virginia woman, Robin Holstein of RobinHolstein.com and Holstein House, where my guests get a good night's sleep at a fair rate plus breakfast. I've been keeping house since I was 17 years old, balancing the budget and paying the bills as an army wife on the salary of a PFC stationed at Fort Hood, Texas, and as a single mother of two back home in West Virginia. Things have changed a lot since then, but I haven't forgotten what it was like. This podcast looks at society and cultural issues affecting families in West Virginia and in the United States, from food preparation and storage, gardening, home repairs, current events, and more. We'll go round the table and back in 60 minutes or less. So let's hang out and talk a while. Well, I don't know. How are you folks? This is Robin with Holstein House. Hope you're doing good. Um, This is episode four. Episode four of the Holstein House podcast premiering on the Fountain Network. Um, Throughout the uh, podcast, I'm going to sprinkle a few of the members who boosted previous episodes and um, eventually I'll probably start doing all that at the end like everybody else does right now I don't have that many so it's to me it's just as easy to go ahead and sprinkle them through throughout and I don't have any sponsors anyway so I can use that in place of sponsorship spots. If you found me on Fountain, I hope you'll boost and clip and share with all your friends and followers. If I bring you value, I hope you will give me value in return. Now, um, oh, this might be a shorter version. I try to do about an hour. I think that's probably a good amount. I know when I'm listening to podcasts or I'm watching a YouTube, actually I kind of don't usually watch YouTube, I kind of play them in the background. I like, I personally like the longer versions because if I stream on my Kindle, if I stream YouTube on my Kindle, then I don't get the commercials. I get the beginning ones. And sometimes the end ones but I don't get all those in the middle I don't know if that's a a glitch or a benefit of prime membership or what it might be so if you spread it around please be careful who you spread it around to because I don't want them to stop it but I'm I'm playing it basically in the background kind of like I used to do AM radio back in the day my AM radio stayed on from like six o'clock in the morning until about four o'clock in the afternoon and it just was you know it was local stuff in the morning then Limbaugh in the afternoon and of course he passed away so I've it's kind of now I don't like the local guy now you know they change those pretty frequently but the local guy in the morning I'm not real fond of and um so I end up listening, if I, if I do it that way, I listen to Glenn Beck in the mornings. 
sometimes Dan Bongino in the afternoon. I, I really l want to like Dan Bongino, but he's just a little too much for me. I mean, and he's always teasing stuff that he doesn't get to. He's a master at that. Oh, we're going to talk about this. Oh, we're going to talk about this. Oh, we're going to talk about this. And three hours later, well, we didn't get to it. But then I'm not a big, big AM radio guy with Fox News and all that stuff. So anyway, I don't know where I was going with that. Oh, I was saying something about the show being short. It might be shorter today. I may not get an exact hour in. Oh, and I, you know, it's just I like to listen and I don't like to have to stop and bump through commercials or every 15 minutes pick a new channel or pick something new. Because the, the people that I'm following, I've pretty much followed long enough that I've heard 90% of their stuff. So it's not like I can go back and follow, find anything new. Because they could, I mean, I can't blame them. They're only posting a couple times a week. That's all I do. Actually, I haven't put a new YouTube video up in probably three weeks, two or three weeks. Anyway, so, you know, I one of the things that I like to do on this podcast is talk about the society and culture of uh, West Virginia. And, um, you know, I've talked, it's been kind of, mm, kind of black cloud depression stuff. Um, and we have a lot of that here in West Virginia. Some of it's self-inflicted. Some of it's not. Like this story um, on uh, a truck accident. First, I want to do this. First, I want to give you the definition of societal culture. Because I used to think I knew what that meant. But in the last probably eight or nine years, there's been this redefinition of stuff. Stuff that was defined 100, 200 years ago suddenly doesn't mean that anymore. And so societal culture is defined by this group called IGI Global Publishers of Time. time. Now, let me say that again. IGI global publisher of timely knowledge and I will link uh, their website in the show notes um, but they define they write books and stuff uh, they define societal culture as uh, covers norms expectation and shared values of a society or group of people living in a particular place and, you know, with all of these organizations trying to redefine our cultures or telling us that our culture is anti-racist, anti-tolerant, uh, bigoted, um, racist, intolerant, all these different words you can choose. A culture is defined by the people who live in that area. Like, 
people from the Bronx don't get to walk into my hood, as the kids used to say, and define my culture for me. No more so than I get to walk into their hood and define their culture. But by jolly, they'll do it. So I spoke in episode three about the terrain of much of West Virginia and um, how it affects our lifestyles and our culture. We have high mountains, narrow hollows, and rural areas. And we're not the only ones. I mean, Kentucky has it, Tennessee has it. I mean, you just roll on down the Appalachians and everybody's got it. Even out west, you know, they've got it. But for some reason, well now, West Virginia falls completely within the Appalachians. We're the only state that that does. The other states have sections of their state which the Appalachians go through. But West Virginia, from north to south, east to west, we have Appalachian Mountains. And it, it, it does affect us. For a couple hundreds of years, including the period of the Civil War, and before when we were considered part of Virginia, to present day, many of these hollows, the the people that live in them are related, and that goes to be a big joke in poorer communities and farmland in the Midwest about how many tree, uh, how many branches on your family tree, and um, just derogatory comments like that. When in fact, a hundred years ago, people who would have been in those hollows had no choice but to be related. Because you couldn't get out of the hollow unless you rode the, the railroad out. And as we kind of touched on a little bit, if you were in one of the coal mining communities up a hollow, you weren't allowed to come out. You had to stay up there. So you have families of, you know, large families with seven, eight, nine children or more. The children are growing up across the road or next door to another family with seven, eight, or nine children. You're all going to the same church. The kids are all going to the same school. And they're going to marry each other. And brothers are going to marry girls from one family. And those girls are going to marry brothers from the other family. And so you have, you know, large families that are interrelated. And I'm just, just you didn't have any other option. There was, it wasn't like living in New York where you were a melting pot where you could dilute your bloodline just by going over a block or two. You know, it, it just didn't work that way here. But um, I spoke in episode three about the terrain of the state and the mountains and the narrow hollows and things like that and that many of the streams are contaminated with acid mine draining. Well, here's something else that we're challenged with. And at first glance, you won't think much about it. It's the twisting turning steep roads. Now the West Virginia Turnpike carries traffic uh, for interstates 
64 and 77 from the Virginia line where West Virginia and Virginia meet uh, into Charleston. And then in Charleston they split and 77 goes north and 64 goes east and west. And that turnpike has some of the steepest grades, G-R-A-D-E-S, on, on the roads in the state. There are some that eventually make it as high, but they don't do it in as short a distance. Steep grade up, I think it's one of those old country songs. But um, tractor-trailer wrecks on the turnpike are, are very common. Um, they're coming, usually they're coming from Virginia towards Charleston. There's a section of the turnpike that um, downhill is fairly steep, plus curvy, plus toll booths. Um, and it's easy uh, for <laughs> load shift. My dad taught me about load shift. He used to drive a truck. He said, if you don't know what happened, blame it on load shift. So you've got load shift, which, I mean, especially if you're carrying a liquid, could very well happen. Usually um, dry stuff in boxes, you, you're not going to have that as much these days. But if you're hauling liquids or chemicals and stuff like that, it, it would be easy to happen. Well... Uh, on August the 24th of this year, this, this being 2022, a tractor trailer crashed on the turnpike and dumped a surfactant called Empigen, E-M-P-I-G-E-N, A-S slash F-90 <clears throat> into Skitters Creek. Skitter Creek is a tributary to the Paint Creek watershed that we talked about. Uh, with the coal mines and where Mother Jones went up and was rallying those coal miners. <clears throat> and Paint Creek is a tributary to the Kanawha River. And the Kanawha River is a tributary to the Ohio, and the Ohio a tributary to the Mississippi, all the way down. But <clears throat> the surfactant is, uh, this particular surfactant is used in detergents and some cosmetics. Um, but the reason that I include this in my societal culture section is because the culture of the folks in this area, uh, much like uh, rural West Virginia, many of the families living in the rural areas don't have public water service. They rely on well water. We have a lot of that still yet in West Virginia. It is very difficult to get public water lines up these hollows. And it's very expensive to get them up there. And what you have is just a handful of families that don't have public water or public sewage for that matter. And um, it can cost the county government millions of dollars to reach those families. So unless there's another government grant, which is all tax dollars anyway, a uh, federal grant might help ease the cost and you know, if we have good years with uh, coal tax revenue and things like that, we may get uh, a benefit from that. But the surfactant that spilled into Skitter Creek killed almost all the aquatic life. Now, you may roll your eyes on that and say, oh, gosh, a few salamanders. No, no, actually, you know, there's, there's some, you know, it's, 
there's salamanders, there's turtles, there's minnows, there's small fish. Uh, Paint Creek. Now remember, Skitter, Skitter Creek is, is a tributary to Paint Creek. Paint Creek has been known, uh, the Watershed Association on Paint Creek did magnificent work on that creek. And they would um, stalk trout in Paint Creek. Well, <laughs> they can't do it right now because it'll kill them. But there was a lot of work done to um, create a habitat that would allow for the short-term um, success of, of trout in Paint Creek. There were fishing piers put in, many of them handicap accessible, wheelchair accessible so that folks, you know, could could fish. Um, the stream water was cleaned up. It was it was it was doing pretty good. But the surfactant that spilled into Skitter Creek killed the aquatic life there and of course it traveled downstream. I don't know I haven't seen a story about whether it actually killed fish in Paint Creek. But um, I know they didn't stalk Paint Creek this fall, or they haven't. Um, <clears throat> according to an October 25th, 2022 um, television report, officials said that uh, properly constructed private wells were not affected by the spill but health officials said drinking water from a hand dug or shallow well is not recommended. So here you've got a tractor trailer coming downhill rather quickly. It crashes, the contents spill into Skitter Creek and the people who were able to afford to have a well drilled mechanically deep enough, which you you would never anticipate a tractor trailer spilling over like that. Diesel maybe, but not not a surfactant. But older homes in that area are mo more likely to have a hand dug well. And that hand dug well is not deep enough to not be affected by the spill. So the spill hits the water in the creek and of course the water in the creek helps fill the uh, aquifers and things in the, in, in the shallower wells. It's being absorbed into the soils and what little rain we've had is moving that into the uh, water well systems. And um, it's, it, the, our health department has tested and said that those shallower wells are not safe sources of drinking water, which means they're probably not safe to uh, put on your gardens. Of course, the, um, you know, right now the garden season's over, but this was several weeks ago that this happened. And it may very well have killed out any, any garden that folks would have had because they keep their garden close to the creek because that's where the water is. Now, I haven't seen anything in writing about potential effects on wildlife other than the aquatic life. So I don't know if the deer, the bear, the squirrels, and things like that, or, you know, even even domestic pets, 
would avoid that water just because they could sense there was something or maybe even smell it. I, I don't know. Maybe they take a taste of it, it doesn't taste right. I, I don't know. But I know that deer, of course deer season is, is in for bows right now. I think it's still bow season. I don't think it's muzzle loader. I haven't looked. I don't bow hunt or muzzle load. Um, I have been deer hunting before, but not with a muzzle with a regular um, a regular rifle. I I don't know, but I've never bear hunted. I know you bear hunt with dogs. Of course, you squirrel hunt with a twenty-two or whatever. But I don't know that. Um, those animals or even pets like I said would know not to drink that water and if they got down there close enough to realize hey I can't drink this do they know to go back to the other side of the ridge and go to the other side to get a drink or do they drink it anyway because they're desperate for water and they die so I don't know I haven't heard anyone say but in these parts of West Virginia, deer hunting and squirrel hunting, and even bear, of course, I think that's kind of more cruel because you're chasing them with dogs, but um, it, it's part of the culture. It's what they do. What young people would be living in that area are going to do, most likely going to do, are going to hunt. So if you let's say for instance that a deer does not know not to drink that water and it drinks that water this evening and tomorrow it's shot or in a couple days it's shot either with a bow or a muzzleloader will that make people sick who eat the meat I don't know I haven't seen that answer or you know that addressed anywhere but in case you're wondering the driver of the tractor trailer was arrested for DUI for DUI as usually is I can't say this in every tractor trailer wreck on the turnpike been in a very large number of them there's some sort of substance abuse involved and if you're driving a tractor trailer and you're using a substance it's an abuse all right <clears throat> news about the home there's not been any major changes to the home um i don't think cleaning up the back porch qualifies but i needed to clean the back porch it was a mess it's really a small back porch not very well constructed um i want to replace it with a real properly covered porch and maybe even close in a portion of it you'd have to know how the house was built to know why this even made it's kind of shaped like one of those old barns um, but the back porch is off the kitchen and it's just I don't know three feet 
three and a half feet wide probably eight feet long and it's just kind of haphazardly put together um, but I'd like to I'd like to make the, the portion that you, that's there now of course not keeping it it would have to be rebuilt but built in uh, rebuilt in such a way as that section could be a mudroom an enclosed room where um, I could keep a uh, deep freeze and you know bench to kick your d muddy shoes off and stuff and a place to hang jackets and stuff like that and then take have a door may maybe two but have a door that goes out to more of a traditional porch and um, you know where you could sit out in the sun and enjoy the air a little bit but um, there's a small structure on the property uh, that could be used as a single unit rental Uh, it's got a bathroom, a kitchen, a living room, and an area that is not really set up as a bedroom because you got to have a closet. There's no closets in the whole place. But um, my understanding from the daughter of the husband, uh, the parents who built this house, and you know, she's in her 80s. Um, she said that little building started out just like a couple of rooms and her father expanded it and created a place for her mother's to meet uh, I was going to say her mother's sororal group Eastern Star I think is what she told me it was <coughs> to meet and of course this would have been back at the turn of the 1900s 1920s we think the house was built in the 20s it may have been built closer to the 1900 I don't know exactly in relation to Mr. Brown getting married that this house was built I don't know if he built the house after he was married before he was, I, don't, I don't know that relationship but he built this little building it's just a one-story uh, little building for her and he did eventually put a garage on one end it's barely big enough for a couple of motorcycles so it wasn't really built to be uh to house a vehicle because even at that even the 50s the vehicle <laughs> you couldn't get a car in there but um it has a garage door and it's more of a lot like a repair um like a little small shop but um, anyway, you could make, it wouldn't be hard to put a little, little closet in there uh, in that one section and make it a bedroom. Um, I'd like to make, I, I'd like to make it a small meeting facility. So that what's the, the kind of like, you know, he, he, he built it for her. Uh, what is now looks like the, uh, living room it has a small wood stove or wood fireplace in it I don't know the condition of the uh, chimney though but anyway it's got a it's a it's a nice little looking um, stone fireplace uh, 
but I'd like to I'd like to make it a small meeting space but I, it's gonna have to have a new roof and not just tar paper and sh shingles it needs structural roof it's got holes in it it leaks really bad it's probably gonna be about ten thousand dollars and I don't have that much in our home equity loan we had to uh, re-roof the house here and I don't have that paid down yet it's weird because I keep paying these enormous amounts and it doesn't seem to get any smaller but I'm thinking about setting up you know I, I run an Airbnb out of here um, out of the bedroom our extra bedroom and I'm thinking about putting a listed listing for a, a primitive tent camping spot so if you're traveling by and you're a tent camper um, and um, you know you, you need to stop over someplace you can you know because um, we've got the property I mean it's it's not a huge amount of yard space but there's enough for a tent uh, out by the by the chicken coop and the chicken coop isn't a stinky chicken coop or there's a couple other spots that it could be where you could just stay the night and then if you wanted to come in for breakfast you could come in for breakfast and of course the restroom and stuff um but i could do that now that's not gonna <laughs> i'm not gonna be able to make ten thousand dollars anytime quickly but it would it would help show that i've got some other uh, income coming and i've got a cat aggravating me to death and she's getting tangled up in my headphone wires here my older cat Cindy she's about 14 so she's showing her age and stuff and she just needs a little extra attention this evening um, but I did some uh, I did some research on the Airbnb site and uh, the only thing I could find in along the interstate here was some campers like some folks had these retro looking little bubbly you know two or four person campers set up so that cindy will you quit so that uh you know people could could rent them um and then one person had their full size we have a full-size camper but we don't have any way to hook it to the um sewage or sept uh, well we don't have septic it's sewage we don't have any way to hook it up to the sewage and uh, we don't have the right kind of electrical uh, setup to plug it in for it to be used more than just the lights so if you were there and you needed air conditioning you couldn't run the air conditioning because we don't have the right I think it needs a 50 amp service and we don't have a 50 amp service but I've been thinking about putting one of those well actually it'd be more than that but I was thinking about putting in a service for electric cars because you know people who own electric cars and need to charge them have money and their money spends just as well as mine does so I could offer electric car charging to my Airbnb guests and I can increase my amount you see where I'm going with this anyway so back to the camper idea um a couple of the listings they, they were the cute little retro looking campers i don't know if they were they probably were the older older campers they were really tiny ones but they were also located in really rural areas with the 
wooded property um, near the National Forest, and they were asking about $65 a night. But they were far enough away from the home, and they were in a wooded area, so it made it, you would feel like you were out camping. They had a little fire pit thing out there and some firewood and stuff, so... Um, and I also saw that Airbnb is now offering online experiences. Now, an Airbnb experience, and I don't know when they when they added the online version of this, but the Airbnb experience was originally set up so that, like, if I had a specialty, let's just say sourdough. I'm not a sourdough chef by any stretch of the imagination. I understand this. But let's just use that for the example. I could offer my guests the special unique experience of me teaching them to make sourdough and I would teach them here in the house and it would be for an extra fee and they would have to stay two nights obviously the night they got here the next day when we do the class and then leave the following day and so that fee would be in addition to their regular Airbnb room and I started to do that, but I perfect was getting in the way of the good. I, I would look at some of the examples they had set up, some of the standards that they were requiring, and I was thinking, you know, I'm like, I can't meet that. I don't have the lighting equipment for exceptional video. I don't have a uh, commercial kitchen I have a table in the dining room I have an old home how could I make this work and then I would get distracted and I wouldn't pursue that so I started when I was looking at this this camper or tent camping idea and I saw that they now offer online experiences well one of the ones that I looked at was a guy in England who does an online tour of all these Harry Potter type stops. If you can go down to the um, King's Cross for platform nine and three quarters and you can go to the bridge that they blew up in one of the movies and I mean he stops by all of these places <clears throat> and I saw people doing tarot card readings. Now I don't believe in tarot card but I, I used to work with a girl that that did that and so I know when she did it, and this was back, gosh, dog. Brian wasn't even born then, so it had been like in the 1987, 88. She showed us, you know, she did some tarot readings. And you had to actually, the person whose cards were being read had to actually touch the cards. So I'm like, how are they doing that if you don't have to touch the cards? So I guess that has changed a little bit too. But these some of these people were charging a couple hundred bucks for some of these online experiences. One of them was an Irish stew lesson. So the lady was in Ireland and she would teach you how to make Irish stew and she would send you a list of what cuts of lamb to get and you know how much potatoes and all this other stuff and she would walk you through making traditional Irish stew and then you had to finish it off because it had to s slow cook for several hours. I mean, it, it's not one of those things you just fix, like hamburger. But um, 
So I'm thinking, how, where do these people get this kind of money? Of course, they've all got these Instagram-ready kitchens and lighting is perfect and, and all this. And I'm thinking, I don't have, that's not my kitchen. My kitchen is old. I like it that way, though. It fits the house. It's not out of place with the house. I have an enameled double-bolt sink. It is not original to this house, but it is a 1940s enameled kitchen sink that would have been the type that was put in here when they would have put indoor plumbing and that kind of stuff. So, and my stove is old, and I like my old stove because it has a continuous pilot light. It doesn't have an electric ignition. So if the electric goes off, I can still cook. And I can bake. I don't have to worry about my oven kicking off. But um, so, and uh, but all of these things, they're not visually pleasing. So if you, if, when I do videos for YouTube, and I do videos on cooking something, it's not an exciting, wonderful, you know, uh, high dollar production. My poor little kitchen is what people see. So I've, I'm, I'm bouncing through my mind of what kind of an experience um, that I could do through Airbnb. And they seem to be set up with Zoom, which is okay, I guess. I use StreamYard. I don't know if you could use StreamYard or not. But yeah, these people, they charge. Of course, you, you schedule them ahead of time. And, and there's people doing yoga. And there's people doing meditations and all kinds of stuff. But there's none of that happening in my general area. I looked up my area. And I used the whole month of November. I went from November 1 through November 30th. Nothing nothing there so you know I could do something I don't know what to do I could do soap but it'd be melt melt and pour because you can't really show people how to do live soap with I mean it has to set and well anyway and there's um you have to get approval so you fill out you go through the steps that says have have you ever done this, uh, presented this uh, workshop or class or whatever to people? And if you say no, they say, oh, you're not qualified. So you can lie and say, I've, I've shared this experience with family and friends. Or um, one of them was a tour I thought about offering. You know, we've talked about last episode, uh, Mother Jones. I know you get tired of hearing that, but. You know, I can, I, and I actually thought about this before of doing tours for my guests. That would be the experience, would be take them up to the um, church up Paint Creek and showing them where Mother Jones would have rallied, had rallied the, um, the miners coming back out of Paint Creek, maybe going over to Pratt where she was put in prison on house arrest. Then going to Marmette where the Miner's March started. I mean, I, c I can do all of that. That's going to take all day. 
I can do that. I can pack a traditional coal mine lunch. I can do that. I know how. But it's going to take all day. And at gas at three and a quarter, three seventy-five, depending on where you get it, and what day of the week it is, it could cost me thirty bucks in gas, even with my little tiny car. Because if I'm driving all of that, that's a lot of mileage. You don't think about it, but it is. So, and my little car wouldn't hold, but you know, one person. Because it's, it's t you can almost get an elementary student in the back seat. It's just tiny. So I have all the information. I know a lot of it by heart anyway. I could do that. Then I thought, well, I could record that. I could pre-record the tour and then stream it through Zoom, like you know, kick Zoom on and say, hi guys, this is me, and you know, here's the recording of, of, the, um, of the tour, and I'll take questions afterwards, and then run the video, and then take questions afterwards. I mean, that's, that's a possibility too. But, you know, if you, there's not a whole lot of, there's not a whole lot of markers. I mean, there's, there's a couple of markers at the mouth of Paint Creek where the families were slaughtered, where the sheriff had, um, had the um, security company, Baldwin Phelps, to open fire on Tent City at Holly Grove. The church is still there, but there's not a marker. There's not a historical marker at the church. The house that Mother Jones was incarcerated or on house arrest has been torn down 20, more, 20 years ago or more. There is a new monument in Marmette. There, I mean, you could go out Lens Creek But I, I don't know. I have to think about it some more. And then how much, how do you, how do you price it? How do you, that's my pro one of my biggest problems is how to price stuff. I never know. I never know. So here's something. <laughs> Apple pie moonshine. I, I don't drink much. I used to. At different times of my life, I've either abstained from all alcohol or drank nightly screwdrivers to deal with my ex-husband, my second ex-husband and his children. I mean, I did there for a while. I went through a lot of booze. And that was just to get through the evening. It wasn't even to get a buzz. Um, but I recently learned of a recipe for apple pie moonshine. And I just had to mix it up. I wanted to try it. I don't make moonshine. So I had to buy Everclear. And my understanding Everclear is really, really rough. I can't say that I have drank Everclear. But, the, but I wanted to try the recipe. Um, <laughs> when you put it all together, I mean, oh my gosh, 
it kind of it was like a dozen quart jars and i had i you know i had them because uh, i i come across a bunch of jars back in the early summer a lady in the hurricane was getting rid of a bunch because she just couldn't can anymore and i threw them, put them through the the dishwasher and scrubbed them up a long time ago and put them away and then got them back out when i decided to to mix this up and um uh, scrubbed them up again you know but i mixed all of the ingredients for this apple apple pie moonshine in a big stock pot and then filled those quart mason jars and holy cow it made a lot so now i have all these jars quart jars of apple pie moonshine in the refrigerator because you don't heat this up you know you don't warm it up or anything so it doesn't seal so it's it's not shelf stable because it's got apple cider and apple juice and stuff in it. So you have to keep it in the refrigerator. The heat would destroy the 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 alcohol anyway. So you don't you don't want to heat it up. But I when I go to <laughs> whenever I go to try it, I'm going to have to be careful cuz I I want to let it set for a while so because you put a a cinnamon stick in it and you you want it to, you know, all this stuff to blend up a little bit. Uh, but I'll have to be careful cuz I I'm, I'm used to a couple of glasses of either sunset blush or white zinfandel at dinner but i'm thinking everclear is a little bit stronger a little bit stronger okay now for the garden i have managed to sprout the seeds in my jars several times now the radish sprouts are really really hot i mean like radish hot not jalapeno hot i'm not a big radish fan so when i ate some of those sprouts i was just whoo golly they are just like radishes they really are only they're compact just sprouts and so the nutrient content in those sprouts is so much more um, uh, intense it's it's just it's going to be amazing and then but then i so now i've started some seeds uh some salad mix seeds in uh in a container to to grow microgreens and and when you do it this way you have a medium of some sort and in my case i've got a little bit of a of a soil in a container and uh, so i started the seeds on sunday morning and so you fix fix up your container so that they that you have um, a wicking system so you have like a it's a three-part thing you have a bottom which should ideally be a dark color so that you um you reduce the um, algae the chance for algae to grow in, in any roots uh, or to form in the solution I should say and then you put some soil or in um, one of the examples was um, cardboard from um, egg cartons but I mostly got styrofoam egg cartons and then you sprinkle your seeds on there and well, you let it all wick you let it wick up the moisture and you've got some hydroponic um fertilizer just a couple of drops in there because that's all about all it takes and um you let it soak up into the wick which i used uh, paper towels you put your soil on there you spray it down a little bit you sprinkle your seeds on there and then spray it down with a little bit more water and then you cover it uh, with something dark so that light doesn't get to the to the seeds because you want them to sprout in the dark and then 
after a couple of days you take that top off and you, and you let them let them continue to grow and you you, you let them get I don't know a couple inches tall because you're gonna cut them you know make a salad or or whatever out of them but I started the seeds on Tuesday morning I checked on them Wednesday and they'd sprouted today I took the dark cover off of them and exposed them to the grow bulbs so I'm really kind of excited to see how they grow um, I'm doing all this to, to try to supplement my food storage for the winter and I've put some broccoli sprouts in a jar and mimicking hydroponics um if it works, I want to try kale because I love kale. I love kale. If I can grow it through the winter in my basement, I will be a happy girl. Well, I mentioned before that this is the fourth episode of Holstein House Podcast. Episode four. Premiering on the Fountain Network. Um, I do want to acknowledge a few more folks who boosted the inaugural episode. Sawzall, S-A-W-Z-A-L-L, Sawzall, boosted 95 sats, Cryptobeard, 95 sats, and HJ, 191 sats. I really appreciate it. If you found me on Fountain, I hope you'll boost and clip and share with all your friends and followers. If I bring you value, I hope you will give value in return. So now, um... Fetterman. I don't have to say a whole lot other than just say Fetterman. I told you in episode two that he was not capable of serving in the Senate. Now, by now, you've seen the video of the debate between Fetterman and Dr. Oz. Adaptive technology can do a lot of things, but it cannot help him by January when he would take office if he wins. And I'm telling you, it's not about being mean to someone who's had a stroke. It's not about being um, ableist, I think is the new fancy phrase people like to throw out at you. It's about the fact of the demands of, the, of a job in the Senate and his cognitive abilities. He has not, you know, when normal people have strokes, they have to go through rehabilitation. Well, I don't guess they have to, but they're supposed to go through rehabilitation. Fetterman hasn't, and if he has started it, he hasn't completed it, and if he has completed it, and he's still as bad as he was last night, he's still not able to fulfill the duties of, and responsibilities of that job. Just because you can conjure up a coherent thought in your brain, which would be unique, I think, for a lot of our senators, if you cannot express that coherent thought, you, it, you can't perform the duties. It's like asking someone with no arms to dig a ditch. Maybe they can learn to use their feet to hold a shovel. But by the time they do, the project will be finished. Now, I don't wish any ill on Fetterman or his wife or anybody else associated with him. But he is not able to do this job and you got to accept that. And I'm going to tell you. 
If you guys on election day choose Fetterman over Oz, and Oz is not my favorite guy, he's just the lesser of the two, you deserve what you're going to get. I don't live in Pennsylvania, so I don't have a vote. But I'm telling you, you guys know that Fetterman is not fit for the job. Whether he was before the stroke, I don't know. But he's not now. That job can, the hours that job can demand. And the, the stress could put him into another stroke. It could do more harm to him than, than good. Think of it that way. What harm are you doing to the man by potentially electing him to that office? All right. Local news. Local news are scaremongering parents of infants and young children. There's a virus called, its initials are RSV. I, I don't have the, um, the actual phrase um, of what RSV stands for. But RSV is a very, very serious, highly infectious respiratory infection uh, that targets infants, very little youngins, children, the elderly, and anyone with a compromised immune system. It is just, it can be devastating. It's very dangerous, it's highly infectious, and it's very seasonal. You see it starting this time of year as people spend more time indoors. Infants, children, el elderly, those with compromised immune system are all susceptible to it. And it can cause death. It can set up a level of pneumonia that you can't recover from if you are in one of those categories. It's not new. My younger son had it in 1989. 1989 and his pediatrician cried when he told me I mean tears when he told me that Brian had the RSV infection because it meant he could potentially die he was a very very sick little boy he was only eight, um, let me think he was a premature born child it was a year he was about 18 19 months old when he got it but look, it isn't related to the coronavirus or mRNA vaccines. I actually saw one West Virginia County Republican Executive Committee post a meme. That's where this, this whole thing came from. Post a meme that suggested that the RSV virus was linked to the coronavirus vaccination the COVID vaccinations it is a lie RSV has been around probably for more than a few decades probably long before the 1980s but look we have enough things to worry about in this nation political parties using something like this 
and trying to, to, to relate it to uh, COVID or the uh, vaccinations is wrong. It's just flat wrong. And it needs to stop. I encourage you to call out people who do these types of things. We have enough things to point out that are legitimate without having to reach out for this crap. And here's another one. So on a different Facebook account, uh, it's a, it's an upcycling page. I, I used I was pretty into upcycling for a while. Even even put out a book of upcycling projects. It's still available on Amazon if you want to go look it up. It's under my name. Uh, this page shared a picture, a meme, uh, supposedly from a major bookseller. And I think I saw this before. I, I don't think this is a new image. I think I've seen this image before. Uh, and it was a list, it was a shelf of books that were, are supposedly banned. B-A-N-N-E-D, banned. And the point of the original post, the one of the, of the from, that was posted by the bookseller, was a very free market attempt to drive sales by promoting controversial books with an emotion poking suggestion. They were suggesting that the books were banned. We don't ban books in the United States. What it was, these are books that are not appropriate for every public school library out there. So a community has decided that certain books are not appropriate for their children's uh, public school libraries, whether it be elementary school or middle school or high school. And this bookseller is, is classifying them as banned. Of course, a lot of people do. They'll say, oh, you can't ban that book. They're not banned. And in fact, my actual comment that I typed in on that page was how could books be printed and sold out in the open like this if they're banned? Question mark. The fact of the matter is that they're just not appropriate for certain elementary school or middle school or high school libraries. I mean, it'd be like it'd be like saying you've banned Masters and Johnson's Masters uh, or Masters and Johnson's. A book on sex and human loving for a kindergarten library. You know, you might might find a drag queen reading it to the kids, but you shouldn't find it in the library. And so just before I came on, I saw a, a, a story on the news that the Biden administration is now freezing our seniors in the Northeast to death um, because of his brilliance, brilliance at man managing our strategic oil reserves and, and handling our uh, energy, mm, I don't know if you can call it a crisis, you called it an energy crisis during the Carter administration, but uh, the challenges of our inability to drill baby drill uh, people in the northeast are having to ration their fuel oil 
and they interviewed a lady that was saying that she had actually been skipping some meals and cutting back on her grocery shopping so that she could afford her fuel heating oil. I don't know who's actually making decisions in the White House, but somebody needs to lock that person or those people in their rooms. It isn't Biden, and we all know that. How many dead senior citizens with cat food cans in their hands will it take to wake up America? So, just before I finish up here, Unfortunately, it looks like I've run over an hour, and I apologize. There are people who believe Christians shouldn't drink. This comes back to the apple cider vinegar, or apple pie vinegar. Apple pie, Lord have mercy. Apple pie moonshine. Uh, there's people who believe there's no restriction on them at all. I fall somewhere in the middle. I see no issue with a glass of wine with dinner or social drink when my husband's with me. I do think that Christians should not be drinking to, for the purpose of getting drunk. And I also don't think a Christian should be drinking in a bar without their spouse or if they are not married in a bar at all. My personal belief is based on personal experience, with the effects of a lot of alcohol on the ability to resist other temptations. It does relax inhibitions, increasing the odds of behaving in ways that would be contrary to the Christian lifestyle. I also acknowledge it can be a Holy Spirit conviction on some not to drink at all. I don't get all bogged down in the Jesus drank wine turned water into wine discussion. You have to get into the actual word used in the original text, the definition of the word at the time, and all these yoga poses. For the believer, you need to pray about it and do what the Lord tells you to do. So, with that, that's, I'll call it a wrap of episode four. Episode four of the Holstein House podcast. But before I go, there's one final round of supporters. <laughs> I won't get this pronounced correctly at all. E-U-P-H-R-O-S-Y-N-O-S. Euphrosnos. Euphrosinos boosted 95 sats. User number 4109503941779926 also boosted 95 sats and Righteous One boosted 96 sats. So I apologize for the stammering and stumbling. I'm still getting my sea legs. I think I told you that last time with, with, with the fountain app. Your continued patience while I stumble through this is greatly appreciated. We, re we premiered on the Fountain Network. And if you found me on the Fountain Network, and I hope you will boost and clip and share with all your friends and followers. If I bring you value, I hope you will bring me value as well. So, there you have it. Post your comments, do all that boosting, liking, sharing, thumbs up, and stuff that helps spread the word and poke the algorithms. Follow me on most of the big social media platforms and look for my name, Robin Holstein, or Holstein House. Till next time, bye-bye.